the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All righty then. Good morning to you. Appreciate you being with us. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a Monday, the 22nd morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up on our program today in about a half an hour, we're going to be talking with Jim Jordan, Congressman Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, the chairman of the Weaponization Subcommittee. Under the Judiciary Committee, he had a blockbuster event on Thursday, and some of the ramifications are still being felt on Capitol Hill and beyond. We're going to talk to him about those things. Also, the debt ceiling, the uh, deadline date is approaching fast. Joe Biden waited over 100 days before sitting down to negotiate, even though Congress did their job and passed a bill that would uh, indeed raise the debt ceiling but would also rein in some of the maniacal spending that is going on in our federal government. We're going to talk to Jim Jordan about what Joe Biden's waiting for there and whether or not he can invoke the 14th Amendment, which his leftist uh, puppet masters want him to do. But according to, I don't know, a little matter of the Constitution, he cannot do. 
uh, because nothing is applicable there. And again, we'll talk to Jim Jordan about that. That'll be coming up at 9.35. And then at 11.10 today, we're going to talk to Senator J.D. Vance. Looking forward to that as well. Senator Vance will be with us at 11.10 to talk about a host of issues on the Senate side of things. Uh, so Jim Jordan and J.D. Vance, a couple of heavyweights, going to be on the program today. And I welcome you to join them. And me at 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers gets you here. Now, before we get started with some of the top news of the day, what do you say we pledge? Our allegiance to this great country uh, by pledging our allegiance to the flag that represents her. Please face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for our pledge if you are a believer in the weaponization of government against the people. In full violation of the United States Constitution, well, then you probably don't believe in what that flag stands for, and you are therefore exempt from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to her. You may instead take a knee over there next to that unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all i want to start for a moment this morning with um what what would almost be considered a footnote of the weekend's news but i find it bigger than a footnote and the reason why is is because of what it represents on a larger scale um and there were a lot of things that have happened over the weekend that are much bigger than this, like I said. But this one just struck, struck me, and it bothers me, and I want to go into it a little bit. Democrat activist Chuck Todd, who masquerades as a news anchorman on NBC and actually hosts the once-proud institution known as Meet the Press, had on Florida Congressman Byron Donalds yesterday to talk about a number of issues, including the debt ceiling, including rampant, out-of-control spending and other things. But it's what he asked Byron Donalds, talking about Chuck Todd now, that about uh, about the IRS 87,000 new agents, uh, all of whom are apparently going to be armed when they investigate and when they audit and when they try to crawl up the backsides of millions and millions of middle-class Americans and small business owners looking for every nickel they can get their hands on to continue Joe Biden's radical out-of-control spending rather than cutting taxes but going after people for any error, any mistake, any uh, uh, incorrect deduction or whatever the case might be in order to punish people. And I could just stop there and the story sounds terrible enough, but when I add to it the fact that the IRS, when last under under control of a Democrat president, Barack Obama, specifically targeted conservatives for their special scrutiny, for audits, and for denials of requests for uh, 501c3 or 501c4 status, tax-exempt filing status, for groups that were conservative in nature. If you recall, back in the lowest learner era of the FBI, you probably recall that name, anybody who represented a group that had the letters uh, or the uh, the uh, the phrase 912 in it uh 912 project 
Um, anybody that had the word Tea Party or Tea in it, anybody that had any kind of a their patriot groups, anything resembling conservatism, they were uh, targeted for specialized scrutiny. You recall that. So the last time that a Democrat president ran the IRS, that's what they did. Now that this Democrat president is hiring 87,000 new agents, one can expect something to be far, far worse. So this little footnote in the weekend's news jumped out at me because of the attitude that that Chuck jo- uh, Chuck Todd rather so cavalierly displays here when he questions Byron Donald. It's like, if you don't cheat on your taxes, what do you have to worry about? Why are you uh, conservatives all worried if you if they investigate you and you haven't cheated? You've got nothing to worry. What's the problem here? It's the attitude and it's the and it's the bigger picture. I think that this leftist news, quote unquote, journalist. Um, you know, represents that is so important here. Listen to the exchange. It's only a minute long. But there's one more thing House Republicans are asking sure. for, which is they want fewer IRS agents. They want fewer attempts to try to properly uh, get tax receipts into the federal government's coffers. I have never understood the resistance of extra IRS agents uh, unless you knowingly cheat on your taxes. Uh, that, first of all, that's, that's salacious, and you know that. Most Americans, by far, pay their taxes, and they do it honorably. What House Republicans, and frankly, the Republican Party is concerned about, is having IRS agents go after middle-class families and small business owners. When you have that many more agents, it's not to go after the rich. It's to yeah. go after the middle again, class. That's again, what it's if, for. So if you're, if you're paying what you're supposed to pay, then you should have nothing to fear. You would make the assumption that IRS audits are up. That they're they're mm-hmm. putting out more liens on the American people. That's not true. That data is not there. I was a uh, I like Byron Donalds a lot. He is such a brilliant uh, politician and 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 a tremendous spokesperson for the conservative movement. I like him a lot. His future is limitless, and I'm not kidding when I say that. Limitless. That's all the way. But I didn't love his answer at the end of that. I didn't love the answer when Chuck Todd sanctimoniously sat there and said, well, if you're not cheating, you don't have anything to worry about. What House Republicans and, frankly, the Republican Party is concerned about is having IRS agents go after middle-class families and small business owners. When you have that many more agents, it's not to go after the rich. It's to go after the middle class. That's what it's for. So if you're you're paying what you're supposed to pay, then you should have nothing to fear. the response after that is the part I didn't love. Um, because what needed to be said to Chuck Todd was this. Is, have you ever been audited, you smarmy, condescendent, condescending little punk? Have you ever been audited? Do you know what goes into an audit? Do you know how much work goes into an audit? Do you know how much stress goes into an audit? Do you know how much it costs to hire attorneys to represent you in an audit? by the IRS. It is an extraordinarily time-consuming and expensive process. All for them at the end of it all, after you've paid attorneys or tax preparation services to represent you in an audit, audit, for you to go through this for a period of weeks and possibly months, going back to dig up every receipt you've ever had for four years or five years or three years or whatever it is they choose to audit you on, trying to make sure that every I is dotted and every T crossed and every decimal point placed and that every receipt is accounted for and filed properly 
Do you have any idea what that does to people? All for them to go through all of that and then at the end say, okay, you're good. Really? That's all I get is an okay, you're good? How about we treat this like a, like, a, like a game of chance? How about if you choose to audit me and I'm good, you pay me. Not just for my attorney fees or my tax prep fees or for my lost time at work because I've had to spend all of this time trying to hunt down receipts, trying to hunt down every single form I've ever filed. How about if, if, if you come after me with an audit, one of your 87,000 armed agents, and I'm good because I know I'm good, and when it's all over with, you don't just compensate me for my, for my losses. You pay me for the false accusation because that's what it is. When the FBI wants to audit somebody, they are accusing you of cheating, and you have to prove yourself innocent. You understand that? The FBI, or not the FBI, I beg your pardon, I keep saying FBI, IRS. The IRS audit situation, the process, is kind of like the opposite of a criminal court. In a criminal proceeding, you are perceived, you are presumed to be innocent until the state proves you guilty. In an audit situation, you are presumed guilty by the IRS until you can prove yourself innocent until you can back up everything that you've ever spent a nickel on for however many years they choose to audit, and then it's verifiable and justifiable. Millions of Americans are about to find out what that's like. And this condescending piece of human NBC, Chuck Todd, is telling us, well, if you have a thing to hide what are you worried about Correct. it's to yeah. go after the middle again, class that's again, what it's if, for so if you're if you're paying what you're supposed to pay then you should have nothing to fear yeah you- nothing to fear at all nothing to fear at all except for the entire audit process it is an absolute joke that that clown is still operating that seat. He's still allowed to sit in that that meet the press studio which was once prestigious which was once respectable to sit there and condescend and to gaslight the American people into thinking there's nothing wrong with an audit. Oh, audits are fine as long as you've paid all your taxes. And you know how many millions of Americans think they absolutely have paid all of their taxes properly? But who may not know about a a glitch, an error uh, on a form. They filed something. They declared something that thought was allowable. They were not trying to cheat. They declared an expense, perhaps, that they thought was allowable. And then come to find out it's not, and now boom, here's the cost of that, plus the penalties for time that you know that you have not paid, and so forth. It is just an absolute travesty. It is an attack. Let's call it what it is. It is an attack on the American people, on the middle class taxpayer. As Byron Donalds correctly pointed out, they're not going after the billionaires, because there aren't enough billionaires to justify eighty seven thousand irs agents being hired not enough millionaires for that either and there's just not that many of them Eighty-seven thousand agents means like byron donald said they're coming after middle-class america middle-class businesses and they're going to try to crush them and they are going to specifically target going back to what i said earlier certain middle-class businesses and certain middle-class taxpayers the ones that they hate, the same ones will be targeted by the IRS that were targeted by the FBI. 
We spent a good deal of time last week talking about the FBI whistleblowers, talking about the retaliation that the FBI uh, carried out against whistleblower agents who told the truth about the corruption going on within the Bureau. If they'll do that to their own, if they'll make their own agents homeless, starve their children, keep them out of work, not allow them to get new jobs, but not paying them for the job uh, from which they have been suspended. If they'll do that to their own, you think they'll bat an eye at what they can do to you and your family because you may have complained at a school board meeting? What? Because you may have dared argue argue publicly against mandatory profit shots? otherwise known as profit jabs, otherwise known as poison darts, if you were against the government's orders to get that jab or lose your job, all of the people that have been targeted for investigation by the FBI already are going to be now targeted by the IRS. You are considered enemies of the state. They have used that vernacular. The FBI has been coming after conservatives, Ever since Joe Biden took office, and just like they did, uh, the IRS did back in, uh, and the FBI, uh, back under the Obama administration, but now it's going to be time for the IRS to ramp that up and put it on steroids. And FYI, in case you think I'm full of it, did you know that the FBI improperly used warrantless search powers? Catch that? Warrantless against U.S. citizens more than 278,000 times in one year, in the year ending November of 2021. This according to the Ford Intelligence Surveillance Court filing. U.S. citizens covered in that improper effort included people in the Capitol riot in on January 6th, maybe not even in it, but who were there during it. Remember we covered this last week? George Floyd protesters during the summer of 2020 but not the Black Lives Matter and Antifa ones, uh, and donors to a failed congressional candidate, according to the filing. But they have, uh, they have gone after hundreds of thousands of Americans, the FBI has, to search their, their records to see if there's something they can get them on because they have become noticed by the federal government as enemies of the federal government. And by the way, that doesn't include the 3,400,000 times the FBI searched citizens' data without warrants. That's 9,315 times a day. The same agency, the FBI, that we now know tipped off that Hillary Clinton was colluding with Russia to frame Donald Trump and did nothing about it. That FBI is targeting conservative American citizens. And next on the block is the IRS to come for whom? The same exact conservative citizens. Watch and see. And Chuck Todd says, if you didn't do anything wrong, what do you have to worry about? Simply repugnant. America is becoming a police state under Democrat control. Do not think it's anything less than that, because it is. It is absolutely that. All right, it's 926. We'll take a time out. We'll get to news. We're going to come back on the flip side with Jim Jordan. We're going to talk about all of this stuff and more. Right here. Stay here. Always right radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
Always Right Radio on The Answer. 935, thanks for being with us this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. O'Boyle, why do you think they came down on you so darn hard? Deep down, what do you think their motivation is? I think they want to, the agency as a whole wants to get rid of people who simply just don't toe the line that they want. They don't want critical thinkers. They don't want uh, people who raise valid questions to their chain of command. And uh, perhaps they don't want anybody to uncover or pull back the curtain on corruption in the FBI. That was just one of the whistleblowers who testified before the House um, Judiciary Subcommittee on Weaponization of the Government, chaired by Congressman Jim Jordan, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to analyze that. Congressman, thank you for the time. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. I'm still stunned by, uh, as a matter of fact, so many of my listeners were stunned when we played a lot of what you uh, what you put up there, the uh, the whistleblowers that you put put up there for uh, testimony last week. People were asking me, are there funds set up to help these people and their families after they were treated so horribly by the FBI, not allowed to work or get paid by mm-hmm. the FBI, not mm-hmm. allowed to, get, to take other jobs without FBI approval, which they all denied, uh, took their belongings, <laughs> and so forth. I mean, th- this was horrendous. I'm still kind of reeling from this can you give us an update on how those gentlemen are doing right now before we talk about what happened to them yeah they're 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 great guys uh and i got to spend some time with uh particularly mr friend and mr o'boyle um later that day marcus allen as well but they've all three been retaliated as was evident by the by what what the what they testified to uh last week and they're they're being they're being retaliated against bob because they gave us important information they told us about you know the, the Mr. O'Boyle was involved in giving this information about the parents who were targeted by the FBI, the whole school board's memorandum. Uh, the, the, there's been other whistleblowers that come forward to talk to us about the, the issue with the Catholics, uh, radical traditional Catholics at the Richmond field office described in that memorandum. Those that, Latin that, mass that, 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 practitioners, right? Yes. Yeah, but that in essence, as we've talked about before, they're pro-life, pro-family Catholics, and they call you an extremist. That's what that, that and they were, and they were, to, to, because they thought that craziness, they were trying to put snitches and sources in, inside the parish, inside the church. So uh, these guys are brave, and they talked to us about January 6th and how, how every case is now trying to be catalog, uh, cataloged and categorized as, as you know, some domestic violent extremist case uh, and, and tied into uh, the, the things that happened on January 6th. So, look, we all, we've, we've said many times there were some bad things happened on January 6th. Those people need to be prosecuted. But what they were trying to do to anybody who came to that rally that day um, we had the one testimony of the they wanted to investigate 138 people who came from the Boston area simply because they came to the rally. They weren't inside the Capitol. They didn't do anything wrong. They had no proper predicate, but they wanted to investigate them, too. And that was brought to us by a whistleblower. So, um, yeah, they're trying to go after these guys, I think, to chill their speech uh, and to to and to keep anyone else from coming forward and tell us about their wrongdoing going on over there at the Justice Department. Yeah, if you're an agent working in that bureau now and you look and see what happened to these individuals, you heard their very emotional and very frank testimony uh, on Thursday, you're probably thinking I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, walk sideways. I'm not going to do anything that might draw their scrutiny on me, get me fired or suspended and have my life ruined and destroyed and my families as well. And, so, and go ahead. Yeah, and Bob, think about what happened last week. We first get the Durham report, which says the FBI had no predicate, no probable cause, no evidence whatsoever to launch into that investigation. They failed in their fundamental uh, fundamental mission of fidelity to the law. They didn't follow the law. We get that on Monday. Then we have this 
this, uh, these whistleblowers testify Thursday. And then Friday, there's a, there's a news article that comes out, not from, not from conservative news, but, but from, from the, the left news, from the New York Times, which says 278,000 times the FBI searched the database on Americans simply exercising their First Amendment liberty. The New York Times puts out that piece. So we've got real problems here, and this is why uh, Speaker McCarthy and, and the effort we have now in the Republican-controlled House to do oversight, to do investigations, and look at how agencies have been weaponized against we the people is so darn important. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually did a story on Friday, too. I, I believe it was Friday, uh, where the FBI, or actually rather Bank of America, provided the yeah. bank records of millions of Americans. When I take that back. I've got I to check myself here. They provided the bank records of of anybody who was uh, uh, ch- uh, yep. had, had charged had made a charge in Washington D.C. between January fifth and January seventh, just to say if they were in the district at that time, we are now scrutinizing them to see where they were, what they did, where they went, and so forth, so that they could potentially charge them for being involved in the uh, yeah. uh, what they call the insurrection. Another another piece of evidence we got from whistleblowers from an agent from from the uh, the Boston field office who came forward, Mr. Hill, and talked to us about this. This was brought out in the hearing, but you couple that with everything else last week, and you're thinking, holy cow, what is going on here? But you're right. Any debit card, any credit card transaction, January 5th, 6th, and 7th in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area uh, uh, back in, in 2021, around the, the, the time of of the uh, the rally here in the uh, the electoral college, or excuse me, not the electoral college, but but the certification that we do in, in Congress. Anything happened that, now? Supposedly, Bank of America did that on their own. We're investigating this too because we want to know: was there a wink from the Justice Department? Did someone say, "Hey, you might want to send us this," or did the Bank of America just just out of the out of the blue on their own decide to do this? And we also got testimony from Mr. Hill that he believes any gun purchased by a Bank of America uh, uh, product anytime, not just in those three days, but at any time, was overlaid on top of those that, that, that database and was, was uh, given to the, the, the Justice Department. I find that particularly troubling, too, because we're talking about your Second Amendment liberties there as well. Right. So um, we're going to look at all that. Yeah, there is no Justice Department. It is absolutely, there's no justice at all, at least under this department. So I want to play a clip for you here. This was a little longer than I would normally subject you to, uh, but it's a minute, and I want you to hear everything Michael Steele said so that I can give you an opportunity. This is a former RNC chair turned leftist. He was on MSNBC, and he was asked about your uh, your hearing uh, for the weaponization subcommittee this past Thursday. Listen. Did Jordan's performance during these hearings actually help Democrats prove their point that the only party weaponizing the government is the Republican? party every time jordan opens his mouth he proves that point the reality of it is there's no substance to any of this um this is just you know the dog and pony show uh that's a lot i mean it's it's like the worst that you can come up with in a world where you just make stuff up and and so you're trying to connect dots that don't exist you're grasping at at little lines of this and a little line over here about something else and none of it ever comes together so this idea of weaponization of of the government is being done by the very people who are supposed to be investigating weapons weaponization by uh i i guess the biden administration because didn't all this occur during trump's term in office it was his justice department and fbi and so it just kind of proves the point. So you mad at Trump? <laughs> Jim, are you mad at Trump? Are you mad at uh, Mr. Barr? I mean, who are you mad at? There's so many things wrong with that. I could spend an hour yeah, on it, but I'm like, going to give you the yeah. chance to do it. Go ahead, sir. 
Well, first of all, I don't, I don't listen to it. I think that's the first time I've heard it, and, and it makes absolutely no sense. Go ask Garrett O'Boyle if, there's, if the government's been weaponized. He's the one who told us about the 25 parents who had a guardian, what, what, had a case opened on them, and they, they, they did some preliminary investigating, and the moms and dads reported on a federal snitch line. Not one of them was prosecuted, which shows you it was all BS and politics from the get-go. Go ask, go ask any uh, Catholics who now see this Richmond Field Office put together a memorandum that says, if you're pro-life, pro-family Catholic, we, we, we think you're an extremist. you got to be kidding me. Well, of course. Go, and then look at the retaliation. When Garrett Boyle is selected for a special unit and, and because of his service to our country and the good work he did in the FBI, moves to, to uh, Virginia. The day he gets here, they say, oh, we're going to suspend your clearance. You're not going to be able to get access to the stuff we moved. All your belongings, your, your clothes for your children, your two-week-old for goodness sake, ask him if government has been weaponized. you got to be kidding me. That made absolutely no sense. But, oh, by the way, this is the same guy who cheered on Adam Schiff, who we now know, based on the Durham report, everything that, that the Democrats told us for three years was not accurate. And yet he, that, that, was, that was fine, but somehow now that we're bringing facts and truth forward, he says that we're not – got to be kidding me. Anyone with common sense and a brain can figure out that what he said was not accurate. You know, the one thing that Michael Steele said in that ridiculous rant there that was accurate is he said that, you know, you're bringing this point over here and that point over there and this point over there, but they never connect. Well, I'm sorry, but but Brian Friend and Marcus Allen and Garrett O'Boyle, uh, their dots do connect because they are all they all have identical stories. They have all come yep. forward as whistleblowers. They've all been retaliated against, suspended, had all of these things that you just pointed out removed from them. Uh, so, so, I mean, there are connections here, and they're very easy to make. They're not tenuous. You don't have to draw, you know, do any Olympics to get there. This is all very, very clear that if you cross the FBI, if you report on some mis, you know, some some misdoings, if you will, of the of the bureau, maybe rising to the level of corruption, then you are going to be destroyed. I don't understand how that's so hard to find. And it, and we've had dozens come forward. We've interviewed multiple whistleblowers. Four have been willing to. Excuse me, three were only willing to take the take the witness stand because they're nervous. One other guy who was, was, was tremendous testimony he gave us, he's afraid to come forward right now, and he's, he's still conflict. Is there a time when he can? But that's the kind of pressure we're getting. And then you add to it last week, what else did we learn? The, the lawyer, Mr. Levitt, who represents uh, Mr. O'Boyle, Mr. Friend, in, in, uh, who represents them, he also represents the guy at the IRS who's been retaliated again, that whistleblower. So give me a break that there's no weaponization against these folks who come forward with important information. Yeah. Last thing on this, uh, before I ask you more about the Durham report, one witness testified that there were very likely confidential federal sources inside the Capitol on January 6th. So many people have said, look, we were not going to riot. We were not going to smash. We were incited to do certain things. And, you know, many of people screamed, fed, fed, fed. We could talk about individuals by name, but he suggested that's why the FBI won't release, release 11,000 hours of video from inside the Capitol because confidential human sources would be it would be outed yeah that was straight from testimony from george hill uh, uh who worked in the boston field office uh was a, was a guy involved with the with the, the terrible events when with the, the boston marathon that bombing up there was one of the key investigators mm-hmm. there had done good work he's the one who told us in his in his uh transcribed interview that um when he, when they were asked to look into these 138, remember there's a bus full of 140 people. Two actually went in the Capitol, and so they were they were they were said, "Can you open the investigation?" Because they go, "Yeah, they they, they went into restricted space. We're going to open the investigation." And then then they said the Washington office said, "Hey, we want you to look into these other 138 in the Boston area." And they said, "Why?" They said, "Did they go inside the Capitol?" No. 
well, if you got evidence that they did something wrong, can you show us the video? They well, we, we're reluctant to show you the video because it might also uncover some confidential human sources. We had. This is George Hill's testimony to us under oath that he, that, that he testified to Congress. So we think that's pretty important information, and that's why we brought that out in the, uh, in the hearing last week. Okay, let's move on to the Durham report, which, of course, was released last week as well. And as you have pointed out and many others, it was damning for the FBI. There's no question about it. We covered a lot of that. But then at the end of the day, it was a, it was a nothing burger because there was no accountability. Why did it take four years for John Durham to say no one should go to prison for manufacturing that entire Trump collusion narrative uh, for the, uh, you know, the illegal uh, uh, warrant used, or, or excuse me, uh, dossier used to get the, the FISA yeah. warrant? All of the things that were done that you and I have been talking about for the last several years now, no one is going to be held accountable. Meanwhile, they killed investigations, legitimate investigations into the Clinton campaign. So, you know, the FBI is very, very looks very, very bad here. But, but what do they have to fear? And and, and where? Yeah. You, you mentioned you mentioned a moment ago. You know, current agents certainly look at what happened to these whistleblowers, and they're going to be silent now. Uh, just in the in the inverse here, why should anybody not go to these types of terrible, uh, dirty trick lengths to to commit crimes if they're never going to be held accountable for them? No, I know, and that is that is extremely frustrating. Uh, we will have Mr. Durham in front of the committee sometime in June. Uh, we're, we're finalizing that date. We, we can't announce it yet. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know exactly which day it's going to be, but he is definitely coming in front of the Judiciary Committee in June. We will ask him a lot of questions. We will ask about that. The other thing I think is interesting is a number of people uh, refused to be interviewed. You know, he didn't talk to Peter Strzok. I mean, he got information about Peter Strzok, but there's a number of people who said they didn't want Mr. Mr. Priestep, another guy who was Strzok's boss, and there's a number of key people. I was just I've been re- looking through the report who who weren't talked to. We weren't asking probably about that. Why was there re- re- reluctance on those people to come forward and and be interviewed? Uh, why didn't you compel them? Not I me. Mean, so there's there's certain things I think we we uh, we can we can raise with Mr. Trump. But overall, the report I think was very very uh, beneficial to the country in that it showed what we all thought took place, validated what we believed. But it was even it's like so many things, Bob. It's always worse than we thought. I mean, they had no predicate whatsoever. He said they didn't even check with their key analysts, their their intelligence analysts at the FBI. He said had they done so, they would have even they would have known they had no predicate, which may have been the reason they didn't go check because they knew they didn't have it in the first place. That's how bad it was, how political it was. And then similar stuff comes in about. Uh, Secretary Clinton, oh, no, no, no problem there. Nothing to see. A trusted source came forward, and they said, you should look into this. This whole this whole thing you're looking into relative to President Trump is driven by the, the Clinton campaign. They, uh, we're not going to trust that source. We're going to trust Christopher Steele and Igor Danjinko, for goodness sake. That's what they did. And it, it, again, just underscores it was completely done for politics. We're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan, who is the uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, as well as the Weaponization Subcommittee. Pivoting to the debt now, the last thing we got for you this morning, sir. Biden is apparently looking at the 14th Amendment. His, uh, his, some of his, uh, handlers, if you will, and many Democrats in Congress have been calling for this. Um, from my understanding of the 14th Amendment, and I've read it very closely and I've looked at legal analyses of it, it's not even applicable here to use that to raise the debt unilaterally without any negotiation with Congress and without any, uh, any, uh, corresponding, uh, uh, spending cuts. Yeah, he can't. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. I mean, this is not Joe Biden who gets to just unilaterally decide things. you got to talk with Congress, and there is a split Congress right now, and the only body to pass anything that would allow the debt ceiling to increase is the House of Representatives. It's Republicans. 
So for goodness sake, sit down with the speaker and work this out. And the speaker is committed to one fundamental thing, Bob. And if we get this, this is huge. He is committed to making sure that this coming fiscal year we spend less than we did this fiscal year. That will be the first time in I don't know how many years, you'd be probably, I mean, it's probably decades, where government has actually spent less money in, in, in the, the one fiscal year than they did the, the, the year before. If, if we can get that and then some of, these, some of these good reforms that make sense, that is a huge win for us. And that's what I, I think Joe Biden was understanding he needed to go there. And then the left got a hold of him in the last few days over, over, the, over the weekend. Yeah. And he decided to, oh, once again, oh, I'm going to change my mind and I'm taking my football and leaving and all this BS that he's done. Well, for goodness sake, you, you better not do something as ridiculous as just unilaterally raise, raise the debt fund. That is not how our country works. Yeah, and, and just for those who don't know this, too, I had to look this up. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 7 of the Constitution states, No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. That means this has to be done by you, by the, by the, by the, uh, by the Congress. Uh, he cannot just unilaterally, as an executive, raise the debt ceiling, which is drawing money from the Treasury without your approval. So if he thinks he can go this alone because of the 14th Amendment, again, uh, this wouldn't last two seconds in court, I wouldn't imagine. I don't think so either. There's a reason the founders said that the House of Representatives is the body where all spending bills and tax uh, uh, spending bills and tax bills have to originate because that is the body closest to we the people, to the American people. Every two years, the American people get a chance to throw us out of office. That is a darn good thing because it keeps us honest and keeps us talking to the folks that we get the privilege of representing. That is fundamental to how our system works. That's why the spending power and the taxing power must originate in in the Congress and specifically in the House of Representatives. Well, you know what? Since you brought that up, just briefly, then because you're right, all of all spending has to be approved by Congress has to originate in the in the House. Um, is there something you can do with spending to? Again, I hate to use the words of the left when they were screaming defund the police, but but to dismantle the FBI as it exists of for course. all the reasons we've been discussing and rebuild it and reimagine it. Again, I hate the language, but but what no, can you do? Here's an obvious one. They want several hundred million dollars to build a new facility, the FBI. Ain't no way. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> we're going to give you more. After everything we've learned, just in the last week, after everything we learned, you think you're going to get more money to build a new facility? There's no way Republicans are going to support that. And there's a host of other things we can say. No money can be used for X and Y and Z. Put limitations on how the money can be spent itself. <clears throat> we want to make sure we fund these good agents around the country doing the right thing. But what we don't want to do is be, fun, be funding things that the, that the headquarters are using American tax dollars for. And we will have all kinds of that limitation language in the bill as well. I'm glad to have you answer that, because like I said, I hated the way I was phrasing it, but that makes a lot more sense. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you for the time. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. This is so deep. There are so many layers to what they are dealing with right now in the Weaponization Subcommittee and the judiciary uh, as well. Not to mention responding to and dealing with the, uh, the ridiculous Durham report which did indeed highlight so many of the misdeeds and the corruption uh, on the part of the FBI in its investigation and in the allowing of the, uh, the, the ridiculous um, uh, Mueller report to, to, or Mueller investigation to be conducted. All of that stuff is horrific, and yet nobody was held accountable for it. All right, 955, Always Right Radio, right back on AM 1420, The Answer.
I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Ah, we're number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks again to Congressman Jim, Congressman Jim Jordan, not just for being here with us each and every week, but for doing what he is doing. That uh, hearing on Thursday, we spent a lot of time talking about it on, on Friday as well. Uh, so extraordinarily important. That committee hearing uh, uh, in which testimony was given by those whistleblowers proves, literally proves, the FBI has been, it's not just the name of a committee for the sake of, you know, boy, that sounds really impressive or intimidating or what have you, but it has been weaponized against the American people. And for those agents who saw that weaponization and who called it out and who said that needs to stop, they have been punished. They have been had their careers destroyed, have their families suffer uh, and more. It's um, it's 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 horrific. There's just very, very little more you can say about it. It is horrific. Um, and Jim Jordan is working very, very hard to rectify it. And so I'm glad to hear that. All right. Uh, phone lines are open now. We've got a full hour of open lines here because we've got uh, uh, Congress, or excuse me, Senator J.D. Vance joining us at 1110 this morning. So between now and then, hit me up at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. I want to share this one with you. Education has been a topic on this program for, uh, well, really since, for me, for 20-plus years on radio, but for the last few years it's become much more uh, important and higher on the priority list because of what is being done to our kids. And as an example of this, I want to share this story with you. Um, in Hernando County, Florida, there uh, are some parents who are just a little bit upset about Winding Waters Elementary School, that's a through K-8 school, uh, a fifth grade teacher there was showing her students a pro LGBTQ movie again in with no authority whatsoever to instruct or indoctrinate on those issues because there's no LGBTQ class in these schools. These teachers are just taking it on themselves to do what they want to push their own personal political and ideological viewpoints on their children, so they're showing this pro-LGBTQ movie. Well, uh, one parent named Shannon Rodriguez protested the teacher, whose name is Jenna Barbie, during a school board meeting, saying, and I quote, it's not a teacher's job to impose their beliefs on a child, religious, sexual orientation, gender identity, any of the above, but allowing movies such as this to assist teachers in opening a door And please hear me, they assist teachers in opening a door for conversations that have no place in classrooms. End quote. And that's very well said. So the teacher is firing back. And during during an appearance on CNN this morning, the teacher made a statement that you need to hear. The teacher declared that, quote, I'm stripping her of her rights as a parent. Those rights are gone when your child is in the public school system. Now, this is only a few days after the Corrine Jean-Pierre press secretary diversity hire person who is black and gay. Did you know she's black and gay? They want you to be aware that she's black. If you didn't hear that, do you know that? Corrine Jean-Pierre speaks for the president's 
That's his uh, spokesperson. She's black and she's gay. You need to know what color she is and which sex she likes to sleep with. Just, just That was very important for them to let you know. Now you know. Just a few days after she said um, that this was at a glad ceremony of some sort or another, which is a gay and lesbian. I just know the GL stands for gay and lesbian. I don't know about the ADD, but glad ceremony in which Karine Jean-Pierre pretty much said the exact same thing. These are not their children. These are our children, meaning all of ours, as in society raises these kids, as in it takes a village going back to Hillary Clinton vernacular. Hillary Clinton is not black nor gay. I'm sure she would like you to know that. Uh, but she might be open to uh, to suggestions. Uh, at any rate, so this seems to be the way it is in identity politics land. You have to identify yourself by your sex, by your race, by your inclinations, by your proclivities, by your desires, by your libido. You have to, you have to identify yourselves by these things. And I've got another story to back that up in a moment. But nonetheless, this is what we're getting. <clears throat> this is what Democrat and leftist ideology has brought to our schools from the white house on down the messaging is get these kids into a place the public school buildings where we can control their thoughts get these kids into a place where we can control what they communicate get these kids into a place where we can indoctrinate them and mold them into what we want them to be so this teacher said those words the amount of things they're able to pull up that we have to shut down these conversations, these doors she's talking about, I'm tell or that's telling you I'm stripping her rights as a parent. Those rights are gone when your child is in the public school system because there are students talking about these things. And I'm going to stop there to point out the obvious. That is exactly what the parent is complaining about. The kids wouldn't be talking about these things if reprobates like you would stop showing gay, uh, uh, not pornography, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, publicity, promoting films, LGBTQ promotional films in their classrooms. Of course the kids are talking about it when you're showing them movies and then saying, how did that make you feel? And then you say, well, the kids are talking about it, so we have to guide their conversations. First of all, since when do you have to guide the conversations of kids if they are talking about these types of things on their own with one another? I have said it before. I will repeat it again. Parents are supposed to raise their child. Educators are supposed to, by the very nature of their job title, educate the child. Not raise, not import values, not... not uh, uh, indoctrinate your job we are willing to to outsource some small parts of our roles as parents to others to do the things we cannot do or don't have the time to do such as to teach them english english literature proper grammar um uh, uh algebra you know, simple arithmetic but algebra Maybe a little bit of chemistry, maybe a little bit of advanced science, maybe a little bit of history. Well, certainly a little bit of history. Maybe a little bit of physics, I meant to say. Certainly history. We outsource some of those jobs to teachers to teach our kids, and that's where no one is outsourcing the job of teach my kids about birds and bees, and when birds get with bees and bees get with birds, and when a bird thinks he's a bee and when a bee thinks he's a bird, or when a bird thinks he's neither one, then he might be a, a salamander, um, Get that nobody is outsourcing that job to you. 
The only job being outsourced to you is the education of our children in the academic areas in which you have been hired. And your job is not to play LGBTQ promotional videos to children and then say, but they're talking about things. So you've stripped, you've been stripped of your rights. We have the rights now to talk to them because they're talking about things. The second one, just, I said I had more, another one for you. This one was in town hall on Friday. The State Department, the U.S. State Department, under Joe Biden, has apparently added pronouns to employees' email lines in a woke attempt to conform to that far-left progressive agenda. However, a pronoun glitch, according to the Associated Press, randomly and inaccurately assigned incorrect gender pronouns to employees' signatures at the bottom of their emails. Associated Press reporter Matt Lee brought the issue to the State Department Uh, getting into a heated exchange over the department's new non-optional policy. Non-optional, that you have to put your pronouns underneath your signature on official statehouse correspondence, as if there are any pronouns other than male, female, and plural or singular. That's it. Singular, plural, possessive, male, female, that's it. Why would anybody need to identify those things? Well, because it's the Biden administration. But at any rate, emails from colleagues suddenly began to include random pronouns such as she, her, hers, he, him, his, and uh, in the from line. In addition, they were reportedly randomly assigned with men being given female pronouns and vice versa. The AP reporter questioned the State Department deputy spokesperson about this uh, policy and said, quote, within the last hour and a half, the State Department's internal email system, and I tested this so I know it's true, has added pronouns to people's, not their signature, but to where it says from, Lee said. Why? This is not something that anybody has a choice about. I'm wondering why and who made this decision. Seemingly agitated by the question, the White House, or excuse me, State Department spokesperson said uh, he was unaware of the phenomenon. Lee called the issue ridiculous and said that attaching pronouns to email should be a choice, not a mandatory rule. Quote, I don't have a problem with people doing it, and I'll interject my own opinion here. I do. If you put your pronoun in your bio line on a social media account or in a a signature, an auto, auto signature reply to somebody on an email, I don't want to know you. You and I will never be friends. I do not need to know. I'm going to look at you and evaluate whether or not I call you a he or a she, and that will be it. I can assure you there will never be a they, there will never be a zay, there will never be a z, or any of the other random made-up words that these fantastic unicorn wannabes want to use. I'm not going to do it. But the AP reporter says, I don't have a problem with it. If people want their pronouns attached to it, it's fine, but it should be a choice, not something the State Department imposes on people. It is wrong. The pronouns debuted a day after the State Department celebrated, quote, Interphobia Awareness Day. And if you're wondering what the hell interphobia awareness is, according to Planned Parenthood, interphobia is prejudice to those who say they are intersex, which means that their bodies fall outside of the strict male-female binary, end quote. And it's on that note that I'll remind you, this is why the entire massive 
trans phenomenon that has swept across this country and perhaps other parts of the world is such bull. This is why we know it is so incredibly bogus. Because even if one does account for the strictly minimal number of people, and it's a tiny fraction of 1% of, of the population that actually suffers from the psychological disorder known as gender dysphoria, even if you account for that, that somebody really feels like they're in the wrong body, they got a psychological issue that says my body is male but my mind is female and I need to fix that or vice versa. That's a teeny tiny itsy bitsy fraction of a percent. But even accounting for that, what that says is that I, I feel like I'm in the wrong body. My, my male mind is in a female body or my female mind is in a male body, and I need to deal with that somehow. The correct prescription for that, of course, would be psychological counseling and therapy, not bodily mutilation at the hands of greedy profit-seeking doctors, quote-unquote doctors. But the point being that if you account for that, it's one sex thinking they're the other sex. But when you now allow that to morph into, I'm really not either one. I've got a mind that says I'm male, but a body that says I'm uh, female. And my mind now thinks I'm not either male or female. I'm kind of, I'm kind of Therian. Now, this person says, well, my mind actually feels like it's both. My mind feels like my body is half female and half male. My mind feels like I'm mostly feline. Well, my mind feels like I'm actually a little bit canine. Mine thinks it's avian, which is of the birds, if you don't know. That's how you know this is all pure and unadulterated crap and giving into it by changing pronouns on signature lines or bio lines or being forced to wear them on name tags at certain stores, certain places of business. Here's my name, Phyllis, and then underneath, she, her, or they, them, or Z, Zay, or whatever other manufactured tripe they can come up with. That's how you know it's just pure, unadulterated crap. This is not about dealing with the very, very limited scope of, quote, gender dysphoria. This is about allowing attention seekers to seek their attention and to try to make themselves different or special in some way so they make things up that simply do not exist. Sorry to get on that extended rant, but I see stories like this with a teacher telling me, we'll teach your kids about gender identity and ideology and what they can be versus what they were quote assigned at birth and it just it 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 puts me outside of my right mind and then to tell me as a parent quote you surrender your rights to your kid when you put him in my school you surrender your rights those rights become mine when they're under my supervision that's just a bridge too far for me it's 10:24 i'll be right back Capital.com. It is 1028. We're going to go to the phones. We're going to say good morning to Navy man Norm waiting patiently in Strongsville. Norm, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. Um, listening to Jim Jordan, um, it's bothering me. Same stuff, different week. 
we're doing this, we're investigating that, we're going to have witnesses, yada, yada, yada. Now, about a week and a half ago, they demanded, they being the Congress, that Christopher Ray turn over an unclassified document that shows that uh, Biden, Biden participated in his usual graft and bribes while he was vice president. Ray refused to give it to them. So right. what did they do? Nothing. Did they vote contempt of Congress against Christopher Ray? Did they vote contempt of Congress against Gustavo Garland? No. They just let him go on his merry way. He stuck up his middle finger and basically said, blank off. I'm not going to give you the document. Why didn't they hold a vote immediately and find him in contempt of Congress, which the Democrats have done constantly against officials from the Trump administration, people like Peter Navarro, even people like uh, our, our own Max Miller? I mean, he wasn't found in contempt of Congress, but he was under investigation. But why can't Jim Jordan, Matt Gates? Tim, Kevin McCarthy, say, okay, you want to play? Guess what? You're in contempt of Congress. And guess what? Your funding is cut. Don't talk about it. You know, don't tell us about all these wonderful things. The reason some of these whistleblowers did not want to come forward is they've lost their livelihood. They've lost their jobs. It's affected their families. Now, what is Congress doing to protect those four wonderful heroes who have the courage to come forward? I mean, their jobs are gone, okay? Uh, the best they can hope for is an attorney that is savvy enough to sue the living hell out of the Justice Department and perhaps get a judgment against them. But, Bob, I'll tell you, it, I'm, I'm just beside myself. My, my fists are clenched, and I want to know, you know what? This is great, but the media refuses to cover these investigations. But I, I see Christopher Ray constantly, oh, I can't talk about that. It's currently being investigated. I can't do this. And oh, and I'm not going to give you the document. The hell with Christopher well, Ray. Find him in contempt of Congress. Yeah, there's two things you hit there. Thank you for the call, Norm, that I'll hit just before we go to the break here. Um, the first one is on the contempt of uh, whether or not they should file contempt of Congress because uh, he, they did not turn over the document. I don't know what they are doing there, but I do know that Jordan, what he did say about the FBI as far as defunding and voting to not approve uh, their spending and so forth, that is happening. They are literally doing that. That is uh, what their response uh, to the FBI is right now. Uh, but as far as the uh, refusal to turn over that document, I know they're not done with it. I know they're not just shrugging their shoulders, as you say, and saying, okay, well, then we'll go on without it. Uh, but but I agree with you. I wish they would make public what their intentions are on how to compel Ray to turn that over. Thank you, Norm. We'll be back. of the radical left always right radio with bob france on the answer yes indeed 1036 thanks for being with us on always right radio 
1420, The Answer. Don't forget, J.D. Vance coming up after the top of the hour. We have room for you for the next 24 minutes, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Got a lot of stories to talk about, too. Uh, we're going to go next to Wally in uh, Brooklyn Heights. Wally, good morning. Hi, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. I was uh, wondering about this teacher who was pushing her agenda. Uh, I wanted to know, did she give birth to these children, that she has the right to push her political agenda on our children, especially without at least contacting the parents by uh, email or something, letting them know that they were going to show this type of uh, pornography in my mind. Do you know what I'm saying? But also... I wanted to uh, uh, vote, uh, do a scripture verse, you know, from the Bible. And even as they did not retain God in, the, in their knowledge, God gave them over to a retrobate mind to do those things which are inconvenient. And um, this is what's happening here. God is allowing these people with these minds that just don't even go anywhere near what God is and his thoughts, mm-hmm. and he just lets them go and do these things to our children. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. It is, uh, and, and it's terrifying all at the same time. And to answer your yeah. questions, of course, they feel like they, they have parental rights. They may not have given birth, but they feel like they have been given control of these kids because uh, you know they, the role of teacher has just been outsized in recent years to the point where they are supposed to make all of the value judgments for these kids the way their parents do, uh, and and it and it is wrong. It is wrong in a biblical it sense. Wrong. It's a wrong. It's wrong in a societal sense, and 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 quite frankly, in a natural sense. A, exactly. a child can only have two parents, a mother and a father. Now they can have right. other figures in their lives if there's people they become close with. Oftentimes, a a daughter will have a best friend, and their mom treats mm-hmm. you know treats you know your child like a, like their daughter as well, and it's a mom, exactly. and that's fine. But that is not the role that teachers have been hired to play. They've been hired to instruct in the academic areas in which they are experts, and that is it. To right, try to, which to try is to, math, reading, mm-hmm. and science and arithmetic and yeah, whatever and, else you know. And, the and history, subject. yeah, history, which of yes, course history, history and history, civics, which, which is major. Right. It, it is because of, of, of teaching real history and not, you know, revised history, which is what exactly. sadly too many of them exactly. are trying to do. How right. sad. Parents need to get involved. Get involved, parents. Get involved. That's well, my, that's, my, you know, and that's, and, and Wally, thank you for the call. I'll say some more about that. This is ties directly into the conversation they have with Jim Jordan. And it ties into the hearing that they had last week about the weaponization, you know, the, on the weaponization subcommittee. Parents who get involved, as Wally just encouraged, are getting retaliation they're being investigated i mean brian friend was one of the uh fbi agents uh who was one of the whistleblowers on thursday in that in that hearing he talked about how he was assigned to go into parking lots and look at license plate numbers and track which parents were there at school board meetings so that if parents inside got out of line in the judgment of the school board they would be investigated by the fbi they would be intimidated into staying home. Keep your mouth shut. Don't challenge the expertise and the authority of these parental figures inside of that school uh, school building. 
uh, or else we're going to make all kinds of trouble for you in your life. And he rebelled against that. That's why he was retaliated against. That's why he was fired. And he went from, from tracking down child trafficking rings and uh, you know, uh, drug drug smugglers and and all kinds of you know the worst of the worst uh, that the FBI is tasked with with investigating and stopping, and he went to, the, to from there to monitoring parking lots at school board meetings, and it's got to stop. So parents have a real reason to be afraid to get involved, but there's no choice here. It takes courage, it takes guts, it takes it takes a belief in what is right for your child to do this, but they have to do this. I'm stripping her rights as a parent. Those rights, those rights are gone when your child is in the public school system. A direct quote from one of these teachers pushing this LGBTQ agenda on children. And then, and then the worst part is her attempted justification of it, saying, quote, uh, those rights are gone when your child is in the public school system. There are students talking about these things. It's where they get 90% of their socialization for the day. And we can't shut down every conversation every child has, end quote. But th- that's as infuriating as the part about, uh, um, you, I'm stripping you of your rights as a parent. She's suggesting that the kids are talking about these things on their own. No five-year-old is going into a school and talking to his classmates about whether or not his penis really makes him a boy or if he can pretend he has a vagina and be a girl. The only way they are talking about it is because teachers like her show them movies about it, give them books from the library about it. They push it on these kids and then say, well, the kids are all talking about it, so of course we have to guide those conversations in an appropriate way. That's the, 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 the curtain that they have drawn in front of this, so we can't see on the other side, but we know, we know what's going on. Thankfully, because of some courageous parents who are willing to take on the FBI, if that's what has to happen. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Gary is in uh, Seven Hills. Hi, Gary. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Say, I just wanted to uh, tell everyone that Jim Comey is coming to uh, Parma. He's going to speak at the Parma Library on Snow Road. On June the sixth at eight, 8 p.m., and he's promoting his uh, his latest book. I, I guess he has more than one. But I just I just wanted to put that out there. I've already reserved my spot, and I'm going to wear my MAGA hat while I'm there if they'll allow me. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that's a really really great point. I don't know, but he probably is going to have a pretty strong security detail. I think everybody knows how a lot of people feel about him, and of course, I would never want anyone to threaten any harm to come to him or anybody else because that's wrong. But the chances are his security detail, fearing people who might want to do harm to him, probably won't let anybody that they see that might be an instigator like yourself in if you're wearing that hat. So you're probably running a risk if you do. I, I wonder if there'll be questions and, and question and answer period. It's only an hour. He's only going to be there an hour. So I got I got a feeling that uh, that he's not going to allow any any questions and answers. But I, I want to, I like to see it um, packed with a bunch of uh, patriotic Americans. Well, I'll tell you something. I'm glad you brought that up. Somebody texted me that or Facebook messaged me that or some a couple of days ago, too, that he was coming to town. I didn't take note of the date. I'm glad you did. You said it's it's the 6th. Did you say June 6th? June 6th at 8 p.m. Okay. And you can so, register for it on the Cuyahoga County uh, webpage, the Cuyahoga so, County Library webpage. So interestingly enough, they're doing it on the anniversary of D-Day. 
So I think we ought to cross that proverbial channel and bring the firepower, the verbal and rhetorical firepower that we have uh, to try to uh, make this man answer for himself. I think that's a very fair thing to do. Uh, I'm glad you called, Gary. Thanks for letting me know about that. So, like I said, somebody else told me about it, too, that he was coming to town, but I didn't have the date. Now we do. It's June 6th. It's in Parma. And, uh, yeah, I would imagine he is absolutely not going to be open to questions. If you're James Comey and you don't know the community you're going to, now if he goes to uh, give a presentation for his latest book at Berkeley, chances are he'll take questions because they're going to be favorable. If he goes to uh, Oberlin, He'll get, he'll get, but you know, unless they've scouted out the territory of the terrain, they're probably not going to open him up to questions because he knows how people feel about him and, uh, the, uh, horrific, uh, uh, things that he did while he was leading the FBI and in particular in trying to, um, stop Donald Trump from becoming president by, uh, tilt, tilting and tipping the scale, if you will, in favor of Hillary Clinton in a number of ways, including leading up to what led up to the ultimate Mueller report. Uh, so thank you, Gary. BJ is in North Olmstead next. Hi, BJ. Go ahead. You covered some interesting things, but the decadence that's going on and the willingness of the acceptance of the American public with that decadence. And, and thank God for the two gentlemen that are whistleblowing for the FBI that we have our own government agencies turning on the American public. This is a very bizarre and very strange time. But what disturbs me more than anything else with the young people, all of you young people, is the willingness to be quiet about it. I don't see enough. I, 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 it's as if the American public has become lethargic because they've had so much crap thrown at them with the news, politics, they close their minds off with that. They want to live in the world of their yards, their homes, the beauty of our country. It's a sad time for our country right now. But it's going to hit the fan come next month. It's starting already. There are people that are getting upset, and there's also a group of people, socialists, communists, whatever you want to call them, that are starting to stir up racism. And they're trying to promote racial war. And they're telling people they want to give them money because their ancestors were slaves. All these things to make a group of people become angry with white folk. And you have to become aware of that. That's going to start to grow. And it concerns me very much. God forbid there's a shooting war in this country over race. Anyway, a lot of stuff, a lot of terrible things in our beautiful country. And I hope the American public wakes up. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, uh, BJ. I um, I regretfully uh, inform you that we already have a shooting war over race in this country. Now, it might not be a declared war. It might not be a you know a, an official sides drawn on one side or the other of a Mason Dixon line, but but there is a shooting war. And the reality is, between shootings and other violent acts, um, the the it's a very very one sided war, and it's because. The Biden administration, not just the Biden administration, this has been going on for a while. It is just reaching a a crescendo now. It certainly happened much uh, during many of the uh, the eight Obama years, and during the during the Trump years as well. They just used it in 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 an inverse manner. Um, being white has become a very dangerous thing to be in this country. Being white. puts you in a position where you need to be on your guard at all times. 
Um, the reality is being white has become synonymous with being evil. Being white has become synonymous with being a white devil. Being white has, being, has become synonymous with being a slave owner. Being white has become synonymous with being a white nationalist. Being white has become uh, synonymous with being a, a, uh, a, a KKK or a neo-Nazi. White people are viewed in a very, very horrific light by not just black people, but left-wing white people who hate themselves. They hate the color of their skin because they associate it with evil. They associate it with past transgressions that they are guilty of themselves simply by sharing the same skin tone as others. Being white in America has become very, very dangerous. And if you don't believe me, look at what Joe Biden just did. I talked about this some on Thursday and Friday last week, or maybe even Wednesday. He went to Howard University and HBCU, that's a historically black college and university, and told an entire audience of black people that white people are evil, that white supremacy is the gravest threat that they and this country face. And that's why people look, and, and that's why it's okay to discriminate against white people. Do you know what just happened at Cal Berkeley on Saturday? At the University of California, Berkeley, which is one of the most left-wing institutions in America, in one of the most left-wing areas of America. In fact, I'll put it this way. Cal Berkeley is like the Oberlin of the West. Cal Berkeley just held a graduation. No white people were allowed. It was a black-only commencement. That's it. Intentional segregation. Chosen, selected segregation. Blacks only allowed at this commencement. White people weren't allowed to pollute the scene with their presence. What do you think would happen if a university held a whites-only commencement? Just us, nobody else. What would happen? The black commencement at Berkeley was celebrated and cheered and championed as a wonderful thing for an oppressed people. If somebody wanted to have a, hey, whites-only commencement here, it would be, well, probably burned to the ground. Figuratively, figuratively, if not literally, and I won't close the book on literally, given some of the things that we see in, in the riots, but it would, of course, be branded as being hateful, discriminatory, non-diverse, non-inclusive, non-equitable. If the white race today practiced one one millionth of what people of color practice today in terms of self-segregation, in terms of demonization of the other or uh, another race, um, the country probably would burn to the ground. You just have to stand there and take it and accept it. Because if you push back against it, you are the racist. So I'm sorry to say it, but the, the war, the race war, if you will, has already begun, just, just in response to BJ's point. And a lot of it is physical. A lot of it is violent. You don't see, and I'm going to try to find a way to phrase this properly, what you do see oftentimes in big cities is something that is known 
colloquially as polar bear hunting, which which is when groups of black youths go out there looking for white people to assault. White people who are defenseless come up behind them, hit them in the temple, knock them out. It's also called a knockout game, but when they choose people who are white specifically, they call it polar bear hunting. It's not supported. It's not applauded. Nobody is is saying, that's a great thing, but it's also not reported. It's not known. You do not see anybody out there black bear hunting. Groups of whites, white youths going out there looking for a defenseless black person and knocking them out and, and assaulting them in a group attack. You don't see that. How do you know? Because if it was happening, it would be reported on every network 24-7. Polar bear hunting happens. Black bear hunting does not. And again, I'm just using the vernacular of the colloquialism polar bear hunting. It's, it's, it's one-sided. Black graduation, good. All-white graduation, racist, exclusionary. It's a very bizarre time in which we live. And it's being fostered and fomented, like I said, by the American left, the Marxist left that wishes to destroy this country and are using racial lines primarily, but also others. This is where critical race theory comes in. This is why it's being taught to your kids. Little white kids being taught to feel shame for their skin color. Little black kids uh, taught to feel hatred for their oppressors over there in the white skin. And to feel powerless and to feel like they are a perpetual victim and they can never get anywhere in this life. If they can continue to teach that, then the examples I just gave will grow and grow and grow and become, you know, on steroids to borrow the phrase. And this country will indeed collapse. And it is not accidental. We'll be right back. So let me just get you with uh, one more example of what I was just talking about in response to BJ about the racial divide in this country and the uh, targeting of whites as the uh, as the enemy and as the uh, the demonic force behind all of these things. The NAACP has decided that Florida is an unsafe place for African Americans to be. The entire state of Florida, Florida is not a safe place to be because Governor Ron DeSantis says so. Advisory for Florida, and it's urging the black community to avoid visiting or moving to the Sunshine State. According to the statement, the advisory comes in direct response to Republican Governor Ron DeSantis's quote, aggressive attempts to erase black history. And it calls Florida openly hostile toward African Americans, people of color, and the LGBTQ individuals. People of color voted for Governor Ron DeSantis in record numbers just last year. People of color down in Dade County, uh, Miami-Dade County, uh, people of color voted for Ron DeSantis, a Republican candidate for governor, in numbers never seen before in, um, in uh, the state of Florida's history. 
Florida is an extraordinarily diverse and welcoming city that people are thriving in. The economy is thriving in Florida. They have a massive, massive population boom as left-wing, or excuse me, as uh, decent people leave left-wing states like California and and, uh, New York by the hundreds of thousands every single year. And where are they going? They're going to Florida as well as Texas. And guess what? Many of them are people of color. The NAACP is trying to foster and foment more division, telling black people, stay away from Florida. You're not welcome there because Governor DeSantis wants to teach the real history of the United States and not the woke, revised version of it called the 1619 Project. That is exactly what we have been talking about. It's 11 o'clock news time. On the other side of the news, Senator J.D. Vance will join us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. Thank you for being with us. It's 10 minutes after 11 o'clock on this Monday, the 22nd morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2023. If you missed a conversation with Jim Jordan this morning, you're going to want to hear it. Check it out. Uh, it'll be available about an hour after the show ends, about 1 o'clock at uh, whkradio.com. Congressman Jordan talked at length about the uh, whistleblower testimony from uh, Thursday's Thursday's uh, weaponization subcommittee hearing. It's extraordinarily important information. You're going to want to have it and stay up to date on that. So check it out at whkradio.com. It's uh, my honor and privilege now to welcome another member of the United States Congress on the Senate side. He is new Ohio Senator J.D. Vance, and he's got an idea of who he would like to be his uh, his running mate in the United States Senate from the Buckeye State. J.D. Vance, good morning. Good to talk to you, Senator. How are you, sir? I'm good, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing well, uh, but I, uh, I I saw a little announcement that was made this morning, and I'm so glad to have you on the air to tell us why you are making this very, very big announcement. I'll let you say it out loud. Yeah, well, Bob, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, making some news this morning. So I decided to endorse uh, Bernie Moreno for the open Senate seat, or I guess the, the open Senate primary uh, on the Republican side. He'll, of course, face Sherrod Brown. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm endorsing Bernie for a few reasons. Uh, you know, for, first of all, he, he likes me as an outsider to politics. He's a guy who's created jobs, who's actually signed a paycheck, who isn't, I think, owned by the political establishment, and therefore will go to Washington and shake things up a little bit. Uh, but he's also a good friend. He's a good guy. I've known Bernie for a long time, uh, well before politics. And, 
The thing I'll say about Bernie, Bob, for, for your audience in particular, is that he has real courage. He's willing to say things that you're not supposed to say. And I think we're not going to save the country unless we force the debates that we have to have. The media doesn't want us to have them. And it's going to take people of courage who are willing to speak the allegedly unspeakable truths for us to take the country back. You know, Senator, um, it's interesting that you say you were friends with Bernie before um, politics, before you guys engaged in uh, you know, a primary battle there, along with a host of others, uh, for the seat that you eventually won. Tell me about that. How did you get to know Bernie Moreno, and how do you know him outside of politics? Not how, meaning what can you tell us about him outside of politics? Well, you know, he, he made his money uh, as in, in, in the car business. That's, you know, he's an immigrant country legally, of course. I believe went to Massachusetts first, but then eventually ended up in Ohio, uh, started some businesses, created some jobs. Uh, I actually met Bernie at a dinner. I was I was speaking at an event at the Cleveland Clinic, and then we had dinner afterwards, and I was sitting next to this guy who just, just was really a fascinating guy, obviously conservative politically, uh, but was really interested in technology. And at the time, you know, I was, I was investing in starting tech companies, uh, and so Bernie and I kind of got that connection. We did, did a little bit of business together. Um, and then just sort of kept in touch. And it was really weird, you know, when, when he thought about running for the primary that I eventually won, he and I were talking about it. He said, you know, if I ran, would you support me? And I said, yeah, I'll support you so long as I don't run too. <laughs> and, of course, I ultimately did. And it was always a little uh, – the reason I say it's weird is because, you know, when you're actually running against somebody you know, somebody you like and admire, uh, it, it's one thing to, to have that contrast against somebody – uh, you don't know. It's another thing to really try to drive that contrast with somebody you think would make a great senator. So I'm happy that Bernie has taken another shot at it because, you know, we do need to beat Jared Brown. We do need to get more Republicans in Washington, and I think he's the right kind of Republican sense. We'll talk about Sherrod in a moment. We're talking with uh, Senator J.D. Vance this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. You may tell you what I like. I like that you won that Senate primary and ultimately the office um, without campaigning negatively you could tell that you had respect for for bernie marino when he was in the race you could tell you had respect for mike gibbons everybody that was in that race i never heard you downgrade anybody and demonize anybody that's a rare thing in in 2023 now politics um can Bernie Moreno, and he did the same thing. Bernie ran a very, very clean, he did, you know, he, these are my ideas, this is why I think I'm the best guy, blah, 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 until he eventually pulled out of it and said, I'll support the nominee. He ran the same kind of a race. Can, can people win consistently running that way in this era? Yeah, I think you can, Bob. I mean, you have to draw a contrast, obviously, but I think if you keep it focused on the substance and on the issues, it actually benefits the voter and certainly ultimately benefits the candidate. You know, what, one criticism that Bernie made again of me, again, not not a negative personal criticism, but a totally reasonable criticism, is that I was not as loud or as public with criticizing some of the COVID lockdowns early on. You know, I remember he said in a debate, you know, J.D., you had a, a loud microphone, you had a big public profile, you should have come out against the COVID lockdowns earlier like I did. You know, I thought to myself, Bernie, you actually have a point there. And this goes to the sort of the heart of the courage of of Bernie. Uh, You know, we don't talk about COVID lockdowns as much anymore. We should, of course, because it's a terrible disaster. But but, but the question is not, you know, will Bernie say the right thing when the cameras are on? Will he tell the Republican base what he wants to hear? I think Bernie has shown some real courage on issues that matter when the cameras weren't on and when he didn't gain or stand to, to benefit from it politically. And I think that's a really important thing. You're right that he campaigned well. I think he'll campaign well in, in 23 and 24. Uh, but I also think that courage is really, really important, and he has it. 
So, Senator Vance, did you choose Bernie from among a field of prospective candidates, or did you just always know, no matter who else runs against him, it's going to be Bernie? And I ask that only because I interviewed Frank LaRose last week, and he all but said he's going to be announcing his run for the same exact uh, seat in this primary very, very soon, in, in either June or July. I'm suspecting June. Uh, so did you consider other people, or was it always Bernie if he decided to run? You know, I, I, I like Frank. Obviously, Matt Dolan is in the race, and Matt and I get along well. It's really not an anti-anybody else in the race. It, it's really because I think Bernie is the best guy for the job. Um, I, you know, I was always probably going to endorse Bernie if he decided to run. I, I remember talking to him about it, you know, just after my election uh, against against Tim Ryan. And, you know, Bernie was thinking about it, but he was still very much, you know, considering his options and I think had made a decision. And I sort of knew in the back of my mind, look, this guy ultimately pulls the trigger He's a friend. I know he'll make a great senator. You're going to have to support him because it's the right thing to do. So happy to do it. Uh, glad to have Bernie in the race. And I think he's going to win the primary. I think he's going to win the general election. So let's talk about the uh, danger there if he doesn't or if we don't. Tell me about Sherrod Brown. He has become a fixture there. He's three terms in now, and um, it has not gone well for Ohio, quite frankly. He is not a great representative uh, in the United States Senate for Ohio. Tell me what the danger of another Sherrod Brown term looks like. Well, I mean, what, one thing it might mean is another term for Chuck Schumer, right? Um, so, so Sharon and I obviously disagree on most of the big issues. I mean, we just had a, a major piece of, of anti-cop legislation in D.C. that we voted in the Senate to overturn. You know, I voted for it. I actually sponsored it. Bernie Marino would have voted for it. Sharon Brown didn't. That, that just sort of highlights one very obvious contrast there. Uh, but but there, there is a deeper concern here, which is, as I've learned in the United States Senate, a lot you know, a lot hinges on who holds the gavel. You mentioned you had Jim Jordan on earlier. What they're doing on the House side is investigating the corruption in D.C. We just cannot do it from the Senate side because we don't control the United States Senate. This debt ceiling negotiation, one of the things that's really undercut Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, and the rest of the Republican leadership is they know Chuck Schumer is going to try to, to, to run end around whatever deal they negotiate with Joe Biden. We, we cannot have more leadership from Chuck Schumer, and we have an opportunity in West Virginia, in Ohio, and Montana. I think we can win all three of those seats and actually empower a Republican majority in 24. But man, if we don't beat Sharon Brown, that's not going to happen. We're talking with Senator J.D. Vance this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. He has endorsed Bernie Moreno as uh, uh, in the... Uh, a Republican Senate primary, uh, as you just mentioned, Matt Dolan is in that race. Frank LaRose will be in that race. Not sure who other who else will be there, but Bernie Moreno is the choice of J.D. Vance. I'm glad you brought up the debt ceiling. I was going to ask you two policy questions. One is about the debt, and one is about the immigration situation at the border. Uh, but since you were there, can you tell me your understanding of the 14th Amendment? Joe Biden has been encouraged by many Democrats to invoke it and to raise the debt ceiling without any strings attached, to do it unilaterally without congressional approval. Um, and uh, now Joe Biden is apparently considering such things. Can you tell me, is that even possible? Well, I don't think that it's possible. I think it would throw the country into full constitutional crisis because, of course, uh, Republicans in the House and Senate would fight it. Uh, the courts would ultimately have to weigh in, and it, 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 and it would be unclear what would actually happen. So I think it would be the worst thing for our economy. But more importantly, it, w- it would effectively be Joe Biden declaring himself king of America as, as opposed to president of the United States. Uh, it would be an absolute catastrophe. I don't think that he should do it. I don't think that he can do it. But look, when these guys get power, they, they think crazy thoughts, and I wouldn't rule them out trying, but we're going to have to fight it every step of the way. The thing that has happened in our country, of course, Bob, is the president has gotten more and more powerful. 
Congress has allowed itself to become weaker and weaker, and this would just become the ultimate apex of that. Uh, we really can't let it happen. If Congress can't even control the budget and the taxes, the purse strings of our country, uh, we effectively don't live in a republic anymore. We live in something very, very dark. Senator Vance, last thing for you, and I really appreciate your time today, and thank you for the announcement of your support for Bernie Moreno. Um, Title 42 ended last week. We all know what happened in the five, six days leading up to the end of the Title 42 uh, policy. Some 10,000 per day illegal crossings happened. We have no earthly idea how many gotaways there are already. We do know that human trafficking is spiking at an all-time high. So is drug trafficking, in particular fentanyl. We all know the, the ramifications of this completely open border policy that Biden has espoused, and yet no one is doing anything about it. It. He won't go visit it. Kamala Harris has checked out completely. Not that she was ever really fully invested, but she's checked out and moved on to other things. Why and how can a nation remain a nation? Uh, how is the better question? How can we remain a nation without a sovereign border? Well, we can't, Bob. And this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm very proud to support Bernie Marino here. If you think about the story that he has, he came to this country legally, but he came through the proper channels. And I think this is an important argument we're going to have in 24. And Bernie Marino is a good guy to carry that standard forward of you don't have a real country if people can cut in line and people can avoid your immigration laws, literally break into your country and suffer no consequences. It's totally unacceptable. The other part of this, Bob, I think Republicans, we have to talk more and more about is that this is, this is not just an assault on our livelihoods on our system of law and order. It's an assault, of course, on public safety because it's it's left the cartels to import pounds and pounds of fentanyl into our communities. This is economic warfare on the American people. If you look just at housing costs, uh, rents and and mortgage payments are way outpacing incomes in our country. That's because if you bring in 10 million people illegally, you have to house them somewhere. And that's caused an absolute destruction of the American dream of homeownership because we're giving homes away to illegal aliens instead of to American citizens. We have to hammer that this is a full-scale crisis. It assaults the very nation, the notion of national sovereignty. It destroys the economic livelihoods of our citizens, and it floods our country with illegal drugs. It's just a, a crisis and a disaster all across the board. It's one of the, the most important reasons why Bernie Marino needs to become a U.S. senator, because if he does, he'll help me stop this stuff. What, what do you make, Senator Vance, of, um, of Sanctuary City presider, Mayor Eric Adams, saying you can't keep sending thousands and thousands to my sanctuary city. They should be applied and distributed and dispersed as if they were a product or something across all U.S. states and cities equally. What do you make of that statement? Well, it reminds me of the saying that a progressive uh, or a conservative is just a progressive who's been bugged by reality. But this guy's been welcoming illegal aliens into his community. And now he realizes the incredible consequences of it. Uh, they don't have any place to put them anymore, and, and, and they're dealing with the consequences of that. Look, Bob, we, we can't do this. We, we can't say, well, New York has too many illegal aliens, so we're going to start sending them to Cleveland and Columbus and to Cincinnati. What we need to say is they need to not come into the country in the first place. That is a very basic, fundamental right of any country to say, who gets to belong to this national community and who doesn't get to belong? We have set immigration laws saying that if you want to come to this country, there's a way to do it. They're not coming the right way. They need to go home. 
Senator J.D. Vance endorsing Bernie Marino for the United States Senate uh, in the upcoming Republican primary. Senator, you're doing great work. Everyone agrees you are doing great work. Even those who didn't maybe have you as their first choice in that primary, they're very glad that you won and that you're doing the job you are. I am among, well, not among the, the latter. I, I didn't uh, oppose you from the start, but I will tell you this. I am super impressed with what you're doing. So are my listeners. Thank you very much for that. Keep up the great work, sir. Appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. You got it. Senator J.D. Vance, Team 20, the answer. I've had people say to me, he wasn't my first choice, but J.D. Vance is doing a phenomenal job, and I completely agree. He's working on issues that matter to the nation, obviously as one of the 100 members of that, uh, of that upper chamber, but he has constantly got his eye on his state. He is working like a hound for uh, the people of East Palestine, for crying out loud. I mean, dogged determination in trying to get accountability and to get uh, whatever needs met uh, that the people there have. Nobody else is doing that. Nobody. And that's not to diminish or degrade the work of any members of Congress in that district or in that area, but I'm telling you, nobody has championed uh, the state of Ohio and the people of the state of Ohio the way uh, J.D. Vance has since he took over. He is a great improvement over his predecessor. Rob Portman did one or two decent things in Congress as far as I, or in the Senate as far as I'm concerned. Was never a huge fan, though. Uh, he was always more rhino, always more democrat light from than I cared for. And so far, J.D. Vance has been far more conservative and far more uh, successful in my view. So I appreciate him, and his endorsement will definitely carry some weight for Bernie Marino. He is endorsed now for uh, the Republican primary. It's 1125. Time out back after. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 1128. Thanks to uh, J.D. Vance, Senator J.D. Vance. He's right when he talks about Bernie Marino being a great spokesperson for if he makes it to the United States Senate for uh, locking down our border. Locking down our border, restoring the sovereignty of the United States, helping the people, the homeowners of the United States, uh, who are really, really suffering because of this just massive spike in illegal immigration. Bernie Moreno is a perfect person to help remedy that in the United States Senate because, and I know I've talked about this before, but because he's an immigrant. Because his family came to the United States legally from Colombia. It was a long wait. It took a lot. And, and, and their reward is the American dream. Their reward was the American opportunity that Bernie has taken great advantage of. He's become an enormously successful car dealer. And it's all because his family came to the United States legally. How do you think guys like him and other legal immigrants to this country, particularly uh, if you're, you know, if they're legal immigrants from Hispanic, uh, generally speaking, Hispanic nations, you know, Central America, Latin America, some South America, when you come to the United States from some of these places legally, having waited and then earned your place in the United States, achieved and survived and thrived and flourished, and then you see other people cheating, jumping the line. Getting in front of everybody who's waiting patiently to do what he and his family did, it's, it's, it's infuriating. 
And that's why people like Bernie Moreno, I think, have the right mindset and the right attitude to truly come in and help solve the problem of the open border and the invasion of the United States by uh, people around the world. That's exactly what's happening. So uh, I support and agree. Well, let me rephrase. I respect and support J.D. Vance's endorsement of Bernie Moreno. I myself am not issuing an endorsement, at least not yet. Uh, but I really like Bernie a lot. He knows it. I've talked to him about it. I like Frank, Frank LaRose a lot, too. He knows it, and I've talked to him about it. Not as much of a fan of Matt Dolan, but that's a personal opinion. Uh, I'd welcome your thoughts. Do you have a favorite in this early part of the race, in this uh, primary? You know Frank LaRose is going to run. Bernie Moreno is in. Matt Dolan is in. Tell me your thoughts on it. 216-901-0945. Right back. Welcome back to Always Right Radio on The Answer. Eleven thirty-six now. Got time for one more segment here. Thank you to my good friends Mark King, a keeping Medicare simple, and Karamas Rooney, otherwise known as Keanu, uh, with the Floor King, because uh, they bring us this third hour. Started it about a year ago now. Uh, this third hour. And uh, maybe a little more. Maybe I've lost track of that time a little bit. But we wouldn't be here without them. I love my sponsors, and I love uh, the people that they serve. That's what I love doing. I like bringing good people together with good companies, and uh, and that's exactly what we do. So thank you to Mark King and uh, Karam for being our chief sponsors of our third hour of Always Right Radio. So I'm going to give you another example, <clears throat> two examples, as a matter of fact, of what we were discussing earlier on in response to BJ's call about race and about this race war in America. And he said, God forbid it ever become a shooting war. And I completely agree. God forbid. But sadly, it has already started. There is a lot of shooting violence, uh, between the races, not specifically or not, re- not actually, e- uh, evenly, but much, 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 much more so one side than the other. But it's happening. A lot of violence is happening. And so we're talking about the role of or the state of race relations. And and another great example of it is what happened on that New York City subway. And Daniel Penny, the white Marine veteran who choked uh, and held down in a chokehold uh, Jordan Neely, the black man who was threatening to harm everybody in the, hall, in the uh, subway, in that subway car, he was held down by Daniel Penny and two others, but only Daniel Penny has been charged with second-degree manslaughter. And we all know the story. They've been screaming, just no justice, no peace. Jordan Neely was lynched. Jordan Neely was murdered, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Al Sharpton played the role in the Friday uh, funeral of Race Bader-in-Chief, the, uh, the uh, role of uh, Race Bader-in-Chief in the Neely funeral from Friday is what I'm trying to say. And Daniel Penny has been, uh, you know, silent until now. He has finally broken his silence and talked to poli- or talked to the press. I'm surprised, to be honest with you, that his attorney allowed him to do this. Just typically, not because I know any better. I'm not a lawyer, but typically speaking, when somebody is facing a, you know, a manslaughter or a murder charge or something like that, they stay silent to the press. They handle all of the publicity and public relations for their individual in in responding to press inquiries. But Daniel Penny was allowed to speak to the New York Post. And Daniel Penny said the incident in which uh, Jordan Neely died uh, with his with Daniel Penny's arms around his neck uh, had nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with a broken system that quote so desperately failed us. Daniel Penny told Penny told the New York Post, "This has nothing to do with race. I judge a person based on their character. I'm not a white supremacist." End quote. 
He said he was deeply saddened by the tragic incident, but said he had every right to protect himself and others in the subway that day. Quote, I'm deeply saddened by the loss of life. You know, I live in an authentic and I live an authentic and genuine life, and I would if there was a threat and danger in the present. He said he would do it again. He always thinks what he does is the right thing. He's 24 years old. He's a Marine veteran. He was trained to protect and trained to eliminate threats or to at least uh, restrain threats, and that's what he did. He said he feels no shame whatsoever. He said I would do this again. And what happened there, of course, was, you know, I guess a matter of perspective. But if you've got somebody who's clearly not all there, I won't say that everybody on the subway car was a psychologist or psychiatrist and could determine mental instability or mental illness uh, to a clinical level. But if you see somebody who appears to be, quote, not all there, threatening people and saying, if I don't get food and if I don't get what I need, I'm not afraid to go back to jail. I'll take a bullet. He's clearly threatening violence. Why would anybody use a bullet against him unless he was going to try to harm somebody physically? So as he goes through all of this and the horrified um, passengers on the subway car all crowd to the exit even though they can't leave it's a moving subway underground they're trapped in this steel tube with a guy who is essentially appears to be psycho and threatening everybody daniel penny got up behind him took him down in a chokehold two other individuals joined in to hold his arms down and then they said we're going to hold him here till the police at the next stop somebody call police somebody call uh paramedics make sure if he needs any uh, medical care that that uh that he gets it but instead he died neely died and now daniel penny is uh is uh, uh facing the manslaughter charges the secondary manslaughter charges penny said Quote, if you're faced with all these challenges, he was asked about, you know, the negative media coverage and the public outcry and charges of racism because he's a white Marine and Jordan Neely was a homeless, mentally ill black guy. He said he has remained calm through this entire thing and he's not going to worry about what people say. Um, witnesses, by the way, say they believe Daniel Penny saved a lot of people that day that could have gotten seriously hurt by Jordan Neely, who was using words like kill and bullet when he was yelling. And Daniel Penny saying to the New York Post, if you're faced with all these challenges, you have to remain calm. What's the point of worrying about something? Worrying is not going to make your problems disappear. Um, and I attribute this to my father and grandfather. They're very, very stoic. I am very, very impressed by this man who, according to almost everybody that doesn't have a racial axe to grind, who is being referred to as a hero, Everybody that doesn't have a racial axe to grind, racial points to score, race race wars to to start, racial arson, you know, racial fires to to set uh, to set or yeah, racial arson I should say to set fires to. People who don't try to do what what Benjamin Crump and what Al Sharpton and others are doing, look at Daniel Penny as a hero. He saved people's lives there, including people of color. That's why, like I said, it's not about black and white. It's about people with a racial axe to grind or racial fires to start, and then people who are reasonable. And people who are reasonable, who are on that train, black, white, brown, whatever, all agreed that Daniel Penny was a hero that day for stepping in and stopping somebody from committing very, very horrible crimes. And now Daniel Penny is facing the ultimate uh, uh, 
punishment for that charge, of course. He is being charged with um, second-degree manslaughter, but he is speaking out against it. So that's one of the two stories I said I wanted to wrap with here to, to again, kind of continue the the narrative that B.J. set about the, the setting off of a of a racial battle between blacks and whites that we hope doesn't become a, a, a war type incident. Um, and that is, uh, that is what happened with, um, with the, the NAACP declaring that the state of Florida, because they don't want to teach the new history of African-American existence in the United States, which is to say that the United States was founded in 1619 because of the arrival of the first slave ships to the colonies because he doesn't want to change American history and turn it into black revisionist history, the state of Florida is not welcoming of black people. And the NAACP issued, said, wow, that came up fast, sorry, the music just caught me off guard, that the state of Florida should be off limits for black travel. They have issued a, quote, travel advisory to African Americans. Don't go to Florida. It's not a welcoming place for you because of Governor Ron DeSantis's refusal to teach, quote, black history, as they think black history should be taught. That is why BJ says that a race war is coming. That is why we've discussed this at the length that we have, because they're teaching this poison to kids at the educational level. That's the point. All right, that's it. That's all the time I've got. Thanks so much to uh, my guests, J.D. Vance and Jim Jordan. Thanks to uh, Josh running the show, Mary and answering the phones, Marcy, our producer, and thanks to you for listening. Be well, be safe. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.